0: I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I Actually, they're podcast hosts. Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan.
1: And I'm Dr. Redmond.
0: And... Whoa. Oh, golly. Uh, did we watch, and hopefully you watched too, because uh, we announced we were covering Millennium, the first... Uh, it ended up being the first two episodes. So, fun fact, whenever we're starting a new show, we kind of, like, watch a couple episodes of the show to figure out... How much are we going to need to talk about this show to fill up? You know, we try to keep the episodes around an hour long. And so sometimes, uh, for example, now if we were starting this show again, maybe we'd be covering two episodes of Criminal Minds a week instead of three. Maybe.
1: Maybe. Uh,
0: That said, I mean, let's be honest here. There's a lot of Criminal Minds episodes that don't have a ton to talk about. (laughs) Bad. This is, uh, this is... Well, I was being nice about it, which is not on, which is very not on brand for me that I would be the nice one. But anyway, uh, it's not normally our structure here. But anyway, the point is, yeah, there's plenty of episodes that don't have a lot to talk about. But you know, I got halfway through this first episode of Millennium, and I'm like, okay, we're only going to be two two of these a week.
1: Yeah, that, and you knew why because we were debating Oof. whether we'd do two a week, right? Yeah, yeah, and we were. So, so Dan says to me, okay. Watch I'll send you up the three episodes. Yeah. And you see watch See how far you
0: get, basically.
1: And see whether you we can we can we only need to do two or do we need to do three. I watched the first one and went, Oh shit. Yeah, I know. And then I watched the second one and oh
0: Yep. So oh, here's no. <laughs> here's something uh that I think is gonna come up a lot. And it's, it's kind of alien in this day and age to look at the show Millennium, uh, and this is, this is what I'm going to bring up, and I'll tell you why. I don't know that, you know, post 9-11, American culture has made anything that means what it's saying, as hard as the show Millennium, means everything it's saying. Do you understand what I mean by that?
1: uh I can immediately it's it's critique
0: yeah it um, means it but it is it is there is no there is there is no humor here there is no, no irony here there is no waffling it is saying things that it means with all of its heart yep like I, honestly, I know that this is going to be a weird thing to say, although given where the show goes, maybe it's not that weird to thing to say. This show means everything it says to the extent that you normally only see in terrible Christian television and movies. <laughs> like, Left Behind. <laughs> yes, it, it means all of this as hard as Left. Like, this show means ev- means its criticism of left behind as yes. hard as left behind means left behind. And the crazy part is this show believes in left behind as much as left behind believes in it. And it's as critical of it as those guys are just unabashedly in favor of it. Yeah. Wow. It is, you
1: know? Yeah. Because the only, the funny thing is the only thing that I can think of, it popped into my mind when you were saying that because yeah. I hadn't, is but this show is still the show that I'm gonna bring up is still lighter. Yeah. Okay. Um it's lighter, but at least it has the conviction yeah. um uh, of these ghosts and spirits, and that's surreal estate.
0: I have not seen surreal estate.
1: No, I know. It's just brand new. Oh, it's okay. in its second season. It's in its second season. Okay. Maybe. Um and I sort of accidentally sort of thought, well, I'll this and then i just continued to tape it and watch it um i didn't and it is uh yeah it's ghosts are real okay. and it's it's everything there's no waffling about some is bad some is good some is just sad
0: right
1: but it's i mean no it's not like this show no, at all
0: it's nothing like is like this show
1: oh i i think like the thing is is as I'm watching it I'm going, Oh and every now and then I see the odd character and I'm going, Oh and I go, Oh and there was one point in the second episode where I just said, No, oh no, I know, I know. Yep. Oh
0: I know. Ooh.
1: You know, um and it's uh yeah, and I and and I and I do remember Everything that's going to happen, sort of, to the yeah. people. It's the funny thing. I may not remember all the plots,
0: but you well, remember. I, I,
1: but I remember the broad strokes. People and the broad strokes and the and how just how tough to watch this is.
0: I, this is- I here's what I'm going to say. You can expect us to have two seasons worth of amazing things to say about this show. Yeah. I, I can guarantee that. Now. I think we all remember, I mean, if you listen to style section, maybe you didn't, uh, that we went into season four of wise guy, expecting it to be a disaster. And we found out that in point of fact, it was an amazing return to form and theme and message after the incredibly fractured, they didn't know what they were doing. Season three, uh, uh, right. Like season three has some incredible episodes uh it says some incredible stuff about America, but it also has all of the show's worst episodes. Yes. And none of none of the worst episodes were in season four. And yeah. had season four been allowed to have the courage of its convictions, then I think season four would be remembered as fondly as Wise Guy was. But again, I, I think it was sabotaged by people who didn't want the show the network to seem anti-war. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. Alright, so. But by comparison, I predict that we will have nothing good to say about season three of Millennium. So that is my prediction right now. And I, if I am surprised and it turns out we have nice things to say about season three of Millennium, I'm right now going to say, I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm not going to claim that I secretly thought it was good. No, I think season three is bad. And I remember there being some high points Uh, The episode about that addresses the concept of just outlaws that had Garrett Dillahunt in it, I remember as being just magnificent. Just like the concept of people who have just who just care about nothing and have stepped completely out of society and how much Frank's partner can't deal with that concept. Like, I remember that being a good episode. And I'm not saying it's impossible that there will be good episodes. I'm saying season three. I remember being a betrayal of everything the show was trying to do. So we'll see where it goes from there.
1: Yeah, well, we'll, and we will see uh, because that's, that's the interesting thing. Because look what, you know, we've had a few surprises recently. We have.
0: <laughs> oh, have we ever? Cop it, rock it, better than we remembered.
1: Yeah. And this show, I, um,
0: oh my God, it. these episodes.
1: But again, I've only watched it once. Yeah. And yet it is burned in my mind as I found out when I started to watch it. Yeah. You know, and and our our Frank.
0: Oh, is, Frank Black.
1: You know, he looks as born and world perfect choice of casting.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the part was specifically written for him like this yeah. is one of those situations where like it's not like they they cast somebody in a part that he created he created a part for Lance Henriksen to play Yeah, like just a man that it is that has seen all of the worst the world has to offer and all he wants is to find a way to provide a life for his family away from that but no yeah. such thing exists because it, it is the rot at the core of the world
1: yeah and yeah, and he and he and he looks the part and he feels the part oh. and yes, this is and it is a I
0: suppose you could say a
1: very depressing show.
0: Oh my god, is it a depressing <laughs> show? Oh my Like god. I got through these two episodes, right? And it's just like, oh my god, I felt like I had been through an ordeal having well, watched I think, these two exactly, episodes. And I'm going-
1: and I'm going, but do I really want to watch the rest of this? I know. I know and I know and we're not gonna do any spoiler alerts. It's no. never Millennium.
0: No, yeah. We are not gonna spoil stuff that's coming up, don't worry.
1: No, even though even though we both remember different things. I we haven't talked about it. Yeah. So and I'm sure that we remember things that happen in the future and Oh, totally. and bits and pieces. The one thing is that I didn't remember was that the um, telemarketing one? Yeah. The second. I don't know why. I thought it was later.
0: Later. Me too. I was really surprised that the one about telemarketers was the second episode (laughs) ever. (laughs) Like, this show goes hard if that's the second episode of the show.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. By the end of it. And I think it's because... The end of the second episode, and we will get to this yeah, everybody. We'll
0: get there as we talk to it about it. Okay,
1: this. but what I want to say structurally is that the end of the second episode, all the stakes are up front.
0: Yep. One hundred percent
1: stakes are now, and holy shit.
0: It's not gonna it's not gonna take its foot off the gas. No. Uh so what per- what fascinated me though, right, watching this, and I will say one thing for people to look forward to, uh to in season two. So anyway, in season two, Chris Carter went back. Oh, I, I guess we should give some context if you don't know about this show, because this show has largely been forgotten by history, and that is a tragedy because it is a great show. Uh, yeah. All right, so there was a show called The X Files that everyone remembers because it was a giant <laughs> cultural impact, and Chris Phenomenal. it was it was a phenomenon. You're right; like it absolutely I love was. It. Well, I know, everybody watched The X-Files. So after three unbelievably successful seasons of The X-Files, Chris Carter basically had a blank check to from Fox, the network that aired The X-Files, to make whatever he wanted. And what he wanted to make was the show Millennium, which is essentially his show about his fear of the, the turn of the century, the turn of the millennium, the end of the world. Like, it's essentially how... You know that feeling you get that everything is getting worse all the time? You know that feeling in your stomach as you watch the news and wonder how, everyth- how everything can constantly be getting worse? And why isn't someone doing something about it? That's what this show is about. This show is about yeah. that feeling. And he wanted to make a show about that feeling. And again, we can say how sane it is to decide to make a show about that feeling. But that's what he wanted to do. And he had the clout to do it. Yeah. And in season two, uh Darren uh no uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan come in to try and you know essentially make the show more popular, because the first season was not uh not the most popular thing because we've just said it what it was about. How could it be that popular? Uh, <laughs> but they were committed to letting him have another try, and they come in, and I'm not going to say what they do to it. Because No, please don't. But it works. It does work, right? Uh, but the craziest thing is this, one of the most depressing network TV shows ever, and this is why I want everybody to keep watching it, no matter how bad it gets, has two of the funniest episodes of television I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. And we'll we'll yeah. You know what is funny? Yeah. Is that as you're as you're talking and I'm thinking about this, what this reminds me, there are a couple of recent South Korean shows
0: that have this um, kind of feel
1: that have this same kind of feeling. There's the one with the time distortion, and okay. I'm just I'm can't 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 remember it. It hasn't had a second season yet. Okay, I don't remember what it was called, but it was sort of like these monsters would come and just grab somebody. Okay, no, no. Um. Anyway, it was, and that one was kind of you. You. There are some South Koreans. that have a pretty similar pretty
0: risky tone.
1: Yes, but 20 years later.
0: Yeah, 20. And that's the point. And I think you can make the argument that there is a, you know, uh, a point of view that says that this was a very influential television show. Uh, in that, like, stylistically, and the, like, bringing the focus on, uh, like, this this brooding style that essentially defines the original show. CSI, right? It's very similar to what they did yeah. in Millennium. And honestly, how can you watch the first episode of Criminal Minds, right? That was shot in Vancouver and has this this rainy look to it without thinking of the show Millennium? Like, you can't.
1: No. Well, here's the other thing. Is that, remember the, with, um, okay, the guy, Walter Groggins. Goggins.
0: Uh,
1: Goggins, right? Yeah. That episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, the demon possession episode.
1: The demon possession episode, right? Yeah. That had to have been...
0: Oh, influenced by Millennium? I don't think there's any question of that. I don't
1: think there's any question. I
0: think you're... I definitely think you're... I wouldn't have thought it before this second. No. Before you mentioned no. it, but no, I, I, you are 100% right. That is Millennium yeah, I- Influenced.
1: That's Millennium Influenced, and then they, you know, didn't have the guts to go anywhere. To go all,
0: go all the way with it. Well, I mean, we can probably make the argument that um Criminal Minds doesn't owe that much to Millennium, but no. suspect oh, no. behavior owes a lot to Millennium. Yeah, for sure. Is the argument I would make.
1: Which means that Ed Bernays. Bernaro. Bernero. <laughs> Jesus talking about air.
0: sauce now
1: must have loved
0: millennium that wouldn't shock me at all no that would not surprise me in the loved. least no all right and so the
1: world was no and, and was the world not ready was still yet wasn't ready to <laughs> still, <laughs> still ready to watch something so devastatingly bleak
0: yeah and that is that is that was the difference
1: yeah the, the critique the critique of the world in which we live yeah is just Oh, it's just god
0: awful. Yeah. All right. So, I
1: love the show. I love oh, it. I love, I love, love these it. two episodes.
0: <laughs> In case that wasn't clear, we loved wanted, these two episodes of television.
1: I wanted to go and watch number 3.
0: Me too, but you know, but we can't overwhelm ourselves. We cannot overwhelm so, ourselves.
1: No, we're sticking with two because they are episodic. They really are. It's really, it's it's a very strange phenomenon that there is this Whole thread running through it, yeah. that it that you never let go of, but it's episodic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, I mean, Chris Carter did a wonderful job.
0: Oh yeah, he that, did.
1: You know, Absolutely
0: but, hey. he did. And honestly, who the hell knows what would have happened had, um, you know, Glenn Morgan and James Wong got to keep doing the show instead of trying to do their Battlestar Galactica, Space Above and Beyond. Uh, which I'm not saying it was a bad show. I'm saying it was a very interesting show about, you know, uh, an endless uh, Vietnam in space, basically. <laughs> <laughs> about the tortures of Vietnam in space. Uh, but that's that's a conversation we're gonna have while we're talking about season two. But for right yes. now, uh let's let's dig into the first episode of Millennium.
1: <laughs> oh yes. And and, and the foreboding, <laughs> even when it's it's starting, right? Okay, I'm I just the foreboding when I see the yellow house.
0: Oh my God, that yellow house! His perfect yellow well, house in the suburbs.
1: Well, not only that, but that is the uh, that is my ideal house.
0: Yeah, it's especially it, meaningful to you as a result.
1: For whatever reason, like I love that those wooden house, you know that house house style. Yeah, with a couple of stories and a wraparound bel- balcony, basically veranda. Veranda, yeah. yeah, wraparound,
0: yeah, the wraparound veranda, yeah. yeah. No, I, I yep. get it, um, and
1: and they painted it yellow, yeah, and bright was, yellow. Just this beautiful, and you see mommy and daddy and their little daughter, yeah, you know, and and they're going, and the daughter is peeking. Of course, she's supposed to keep her eyes closed, but she's peeking, and mm-hmm. but Megan Gallagher uh, yep. does does. Does keep her eyes shut. I know. And then she falls. It. I mean, she just. Catherine at Black. Perfect. Yes. Catherine, Catherine
0: Black, who's Frank's wife.
1: Yes. And Frank's is a
0: back. social worker.
1: Yes, and and it's a perfect
0: house. Oh, it is. It absolutely yes, is. It
1: is a perfect house. Yeah, and, oh, and she loves it.
0: They all
1: love it. I love it. The um. I've seen
0: <laughs> I know, right? Well, one thing that's interest super interesting stylistically about this show is it fades every scene to and from white and not black. Yeah. And I know it is a visual thing he's decided and they do it along with the sound effect of a Polaroid photo being taken. Yeah. And of course that's significant to the show. That's significant to the plot of the show, but it's really, it's very interesting how they committed to that I mean, it, there's a narrative reason for it, but it's also incredibly off-putting because it is the opposite of how all other television has trained you to expect television to function. Like every other show, every other movie, everything in fade history to is to like black. fade from, fade to and from black, but no, yes. this show fades to and from white.
1: Yes, well, and and Amy Winehouse's song "Fade to Black," right? Yeah. Oh no,
0: it's it's yeah. <laughs>
1: That's what you're supposed to do, That's what
0: everything does. It is the language of cinema. And what this show gives you is a blinding light that's hard to look at. And then your eyes have to adjust to the world again, every time it starts. So again, like even the structure of the show's visuals are hostile to the viewer. Yeah.
1: And yes, and that's it because you enter the world of the television and you... Yeah. Probably you don't want to.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, no, exactly. And the thing is, he so often, right, it goes from the the white flash to an incredibly dark screen. So your eyes take a moment to adjust and you're trying to figure out what it is you're looking at. Like everything about the way this show is designed, is, like is, is made, is designed to set you off balance and make you uncomfortable. Like, the experience of actually just watching the show will make you feel uncomfortable. In a way that, like, you just rarely get on television. You rarely get that on film. You know? Like, what? what how many movies do you genuinely feel uncomfortable watching? Like, seven? You know? Oh.
1: Rain again.
0: Yeah, rain again. Right? So it's like, so many shows... Have that vibe, and I mean, I'm uh, the influence of Seven here, of course, is obvious, uh, mm. <laughs> right? But it it's a double down on what Seven did of creating this murky world where everything is indistinct by adding elements like the fade from white, right? To just take the already the concept of a murky world that's hard to look at and just made it even more difficult for the viewer to interact with. Again, like, no one who didn't genuinely think they had a blank check would ever do a show this risky. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> it would never have happened. Okay, so we should probably get into what the first episode is actually about. <laughs> <laughs> At some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just talking about the, the stuff, but I'm going, yes, what we are watching is Chris Carter's nightmare.
0: Yeah. Everything he's scared about and like, I mean, and
1: Frank Black is Frank Black. Yeah, from you know, so it's just like, ah,
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, Lance Henriksen is incredible in this show. Yeah, because again, the comedy it gets from, and I mean, it's it's a mordant comedy and it's a grave comedy. Just like the idea of Lance Henriksen just being a guy puttering around a house in like he's like he's a character who only makes sense crouched next to a mutilated corpse on a you know in a dingy warehouse somewhere so the idea of him handing his daughter a puppy is so absurd but that's part of the show's design to say no you don't get to shut yourself away from this stuff no matter how much you want to again it's like it's it's a casting coup having him in this show. Because it helps make like just him being there with his face and his voice makes half in these normal circumstances makes half of the show's points for it. Like tell me and if you can tell me you don't feel dread every time he's talking with his just a pleasant normal guy neighbor? Oh my god. You're lying. Because when you watch the show, you're like, oh, my God, what's going on with this sinister neighbor is all you can think because it doesn't make sense that Lance Henriksen is chatting with someone about siding and lights and things like that. But that's the show.
1: There's something coming.
0: But the thing, the genius of the show is that's what the show is doing to put you in Frank's head. Yeah. You know, it's it's putting you in these circumstances because you watch a TV show and you're like, oh, well, they never just waste our time with this, you know, ordinary slice of life stuff. No, but the fact that Frank all is always waiting for the other shoe to drop is the point. Yeah. So, uh Oh my god. Uh so we start at a peep show. Yeah. We started a peep show, which oh. uh is interestingly shown in a in a very cool way from the workers point of view that it's just these women you know checking in and out for their shift yep and it there's it is so blasé and it is the like whatever the opposite word for glamorized is that is how this peep show is presented (laughs)
1: This is eight millimeters.
0: Yes, it is it is eight millimeters view of the world of peep shows and sex work. Yeah. Yeah. Just the grimiest, most unpleasant to look at stuff imaginable.
1: The only there's a documentary that you could actually watch on the NFB that is is the peep show from the pers That's the only it's a comparison that you can make because it does show the sliminess and the griminess. Okay. And you can tell this is pre-internet. Oh, yeah. You know, because you've got... That's what I was all
0: of this, is, All of this stuff has moved to the internet and OnlyFans now. But there was a time, kids of today, where if you wanted to have yeah. a woman dance for you, you had to go to the bad part of town... And like stick dollars at a time through a slot. And then a screen would come up and there would be a naked woman behind there who would dance well, as crazy. I mean, here they're in, they're in underwear because it's a network TV show, but I'm talking yeah. about what the show is referencing, not what the show is yeah. presenting again. Yeah. We, we understand what's what happened in the real places.
1: Yes. And they put quarters
0: in. Yes. Quarters. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah. They put in one quarter per, you know, X amount of seconds. No, but you put in like, you put in like six quarters for a dollar 50 for one minute of looking at this woman. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and there are multiple screens and that's one of the creepy parts. Like these Uh women essentially trapped in these glass boxes and there would be like multiple screens so different guys at different time could like you never know when one of the the shutters is gonna go up and someone is gonna be looking at you. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's an unpleasant world. And so a guy pays for a exclusive uh you know, time, a private room well, to watch what, this. What morning. has happened yeah. what has
1: happened is is we've already set up for her. She's got a child, she's gonna have to phone home yeah. to see the babysitter can stay just a little bit longer
0: because she's got this private session with a guy well, that is was paid going for it.
1: Home. Yeah. she was gonna go home she called about the babysitter before that happened. she was on her way home yeah and, and she gets offered two hundred bucks for ten minutes,
0: yeah, and so of course she can't turn that down. She no, is working right. class that is a lot of money,
1: yeah, in nineteen ninety nine or 96. or nineteen
0: ninety seven yeah the six seven or whenever it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a decent chunk of change, right? Yep. That is, that is worth risk, uh, like worth asking the babysitter to stay another half hour for money. Uh, and so she goes and this guy is really creepy and he presses some, uh, biblical quote. Well, not biblical no, quotes. No, no, no. Nostradamus quotes. I almost no, said not
1: that. even that. It is, it is, it is a poem. Yeah. From yates or somebody else about it's the not, end of the
0: world yes
1: yeah or the it's it's the the center cannot hold sort of guy yeah uh,
0: you're right it's the yates poem that he puts on the wall and the french quotes the he's french. always saying are from uh nostradamus yeah. well no
1: it, everything is written in french if you look closely at yeah
0: it. it's he's very a, weird it's, and they call him the frenchman as a result
1: yes yeah because he comes all the time oh yeah it's not He's not unknown to the girls, so no. they've nicknamed him, right? Exactly. And he's the one that wants the private private session with that particular girl. Mm-hmm. And it's just I mean, it's not he's not in the same room with her. He's still behind he's the glass. Like they cannot yeah. go anywhere near these girls. Yeah. He's still behind the glass and the shutter is gonna come down when he's twenty five when his time is up. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. And that, of course, is to get them. the the purpose that the girls serve is to keep him, keep these men putting quarters in. Of course. Yeah. You know, so.
0: Oh, I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Do anything to keep them paying. That's that's the rule. That's how it works. Oh, God. But yeah. So uh, spoiler alert, she gets murdered.
1: Yeah. Yes. Spoiler alert, I don't think. You
0: know. uh, I, think yeah. I think we all know where this story is going.
1: Yes, so she gets murdered. Yeah. And then it makes it into the paper and Frank sees it the next morning.
0: Yeah. And immediately his uh, idea of having this idyllic life, we know this is going to come up, uh, this is going to become a thing. And we find out that he is working with an organization uh
1: this is he goes down to the local police shop and says i can help
0: yeah and bob is there Place
1: where, where he used to work mm-hmm. yeah
0: the play because he used to be a homicide detective there before he went to work for the fbi in mm-hmm. criminal profiling
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's key because he has bob who's his buddy there right who used to be his partner and he you know uh, he always trusts Frank and he knows Frank did a great, uh, always did a great job. But, you know, he doesn't really have. Uh, it is a little weird that Frank has come back from the FBI different.
1: Yes. Well, he just doesn't know what Frank is doing there. Yeah. We will find out shortly over the next <laughs> two episodes. Yes. Why Frank is back.
0: Mm-hmm. Sort of. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, we'll, we'll get the point soon enough, but right now it's just, he's just showed up. Hey, I can help catch this guy. And of course he can. Yeah. He's Frank Black. <laughs> and so this is, um, uh, and basically we will get some explanation for how this works as the show goes on. But right now, all we are demonstrated is that he has the uncanny, uh, uncanny ability to put himself inside the killer's mindset. If yeah. you have seen the movie Manhunter, that is what they are commenting on. Yeah. The kind of stuff that Will Graham could do in the movie Manhunter. Or, I yeah. guess, you know, the show Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, if if you're more familiar with the show Hannibal, which, you know, it's a great TV show. I'm not saying you shouldn't be more familiar with the show Hannibal. Uh, so, yes, he can do that. And so he offers some insight into this guy's head, uh, this mindset. Yeah. Right. He offers, but of course, how actionable is that right now? But more importantly, he explains that he is working with something called the Millennium Group. Yes. Which is made up of guys from law enforcement. And all he says is that they're like hoping to make a difference in the world by using their skills. Yes. Right? That is the very nebulous way he describes the Millennium Group. Millennium Group. Yeah. The, okay. I mean, that that could you be more vague about who these guys are and what these guys want
1: well it's it's actually it's weird right because this is the that that weird takeoff on who's our profiler guy that wrote all those books and stuff cuz he's John Douglas yeah John Douglas and set up his own
0: his own consulting firm
1: consulting firm
0: yeah
1: right and that's what the millennium group is is a consulting firm yeah and um but given the name, you know this is a problem.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, I love that Frank is so gifted that he uh, the, the the way they demonstrate his gift is that he goes to the morgue and he describes all the wounds to the body without seeing the body. <laughs> and he doesn't need to see the body. Yeah, he doesn't need to see the body because he knows what the guy wants and what the guy wants to do ah uh, and so then he goes to talk to the coworkers
1: yeah
0: right and he puts himself in the killer's mindset and first off really really delightfully is it an overwritten scene sure but it's a delightfully clever scene where she talks about the uh the fans and how yeah. they would clap if they had both hands free <laughs> like oh that's the best line i've ever heard in my life <laughs>
1: i know and
0: it's the yes, best line yes. and i'm like you were allowed to say that on television
1: <laughs> what well it was on at 10 o'clock at night. it was
0: on at 10 o'clock at night on fox i guess so yeah right mm-hmm. uh but yeah. the point is frank is picturing her as a demonic temptress mm-hmm. as she's talking because he is imagining what the killer was seeing Mm -hmm. like how the killer thinks of her and so it's like so we will of course and again uh it is not frank having this negative view of this woman it is the killer of course but still it's putting you in the head of frank and how he sees the worst of the world all the time because he is constantly looking through the eyes of monsters yes
1: And how disorienting it must be for him. Yeah. Much less for us. I mean, they're making it disorienting for us, so it has to be even more disorienting for him.
0: Yeah, because he's actually experiencing it. We're just watching it on a TV. (laughs) Yeah. But again, it's a brilliantly, like, the construction this show does. Again, I think there is a not insignificant amount of influence of this on Hannibal. You know, with Hannibal's Flights of Visual Fantasy, right? I mean, I think that this show is more experimental than people were ready for and more experimental than a lot of, like, almost any show you would see on television. Like, there's a lot of visual experimentation in this show that you just don't see anywhere else. And it's all to create this disorienting worldview. And get the care the the audience trapped in it. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep. Oh yeah, I know. Trapped I am. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my and, god.
1: And we don't have the relief of the relief of commercials.
0: Yeah. Oh. And so we follow the killer a little, like looking at the filth driving around and looking at the filth of society. We see him dragging a body away. And then Frank gets a call about a new body, right? And the new body has been burned. Yeah. Like so, yeah.
1: They call him out, and then they say, "Well, no, it's different. He's been burned."
0: Yeah. And Frank's going, "No, it's, it's the, same the same guy."
1: Yeah, it's the same killer. Yeah, because he can see that he he sees the guy. Like that's it. When something has happened, he can visualize that. Yeah. As well, like it's not just it's what. I mean the killer set him on fire and he
0: ran through the woods. Oh my god, that visual they do of a man on oh. fire running through the woods. Oh my wow. god. Wow. Oh, wow. You know, that's you, that's beautiful.
1: You know? And so then Frank says, "No, no, and they came Where's the water? Where's the water?" Yeah. And we don't know what he's looking for. He's and sure so they, they came all- from a river. <laughs> yeah. And he keeps going and going and going. And mm. then...
0: Finds a dead body.
1: Finds Well, sorry, finds, not the
0: dead body. The coffin. He finds the coffin.
1: He finds a coffin with all sorts of... Oh.
0: Has the word plague written on it in French. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. And he realizes someone had been kept in this coffin for X amount of time before he was dragged out and burned alive because there is blood all over it and, you know, bloody scratch marks on the inside of the uh, cabinet. Awesome, yeah. It's it's disturbing. So Frank takes forever to get home, and then we meet basically our second lead of the show, your favorite and mine, Terry O'Quinn as Peter (laughs) Watts. Yes. Oh, Peter Watts, we love you. And we hate you. And we hate you. I mean, but there's a reason that we'll watch anything with Peter Watts in it from then on.
1: Yes.
0: And that is because he's so, he's so good in this. Uh, in case you don't know who Terry Quinn is, if you were familiar with the show Lost, he played Locke on Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh So then Frank goes through his uh, various, uh, he studies the evidence. He gets, you know, a little bit of evidence. And it's very interesting because Peter Watts won't go into the house. Like Frank has told him, he doesn't want this stuff infecting his house. Yeah. So Peter Watts does the creepy thing of just sitting in and a car I mean, across <laughs> the street for five hours waiting for Frank to come, Frank home. To come home. You that's don't see how that's, like, worse, right? Yeah, you know, your your wife has noticed this. Yeah.
1: As it turns out. Hmm. you know frank he was sitting out there for like hours yeah you know that's going to give the creeps it would give me the creeps if i saw a car sitting outside
0: oh god yeah
1: she knew who it was mm-hmm. but she still thought it was creepy
0: yeah and what's interesting is right so they go um frank right uh, goes over the, because there, spoiler alert, again, spoiler alert, uh, I'm just talking about the plot. There's videotapes of the various customers in the peep show. And so he managed to get a videotape of the killer, but yeah. he's, wears a baseball cap. You never really see his face, but he is muttering something. And so Frank is able to detect what he's muttering about blood and filth and the city being drowned. Right. Yeah. And so he looks for the various uh, places and he sees in the newspaper that day that the police were planning to clean up a uh, this place under a bridge where people it says clean up cruising. So it's where, you know, gay men are going to pick up hustlers. Yeah. Right. Uh, And so Frank's like, well, if this is known to be a place that is by his terms filthy, he'll probably be there. And he goes and he chases him and we get a fun chase scene. Yes. And then we get... And I'm... then it's
1: Frank, but but you have to talk about Frank's vision of these guys. Oh, of
0: course. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right? That, because that's happening during the the chase scene where he's seeing these guys with their mouths tied up and their yeah. eyes touched.
0: I know. Yeah. These creepy yeah. images of a guy with walking. their mouths sewn shut in their eyes. Yeah. It's just... Ugh.
1: Walking by all these guys, this is what he's seeing. Yeah, this so, is what
0: he's seeing over and over again, and again. I start. mean, the fact is, I think we can say that Frank is psychic, right? <laughs> like, yes. One hundred percent. The show does it like will make a bigger or smaller deal out of this as the show goes on. But there is, given what he will discover uh, ten minutes later in the show, there is no way to interpret it other than that Frank Black has a psychic link with the killers he's hunting. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's, it's not just psychology here. It's not just profiling here. He has yeah. a psychic link. And yeah. he, I mean, we can do the, the Nietzsche thing. He stared so long into, uh, the bleakness of Get serial him. killing, the abyss, that he, he was changed into a monster himself, but one who is, who literally inhabits the minds of monsters because it's not figurative here. It's not what they would do with Will Graham, or it's not what they would do on unsub or right. Anything like that, or even criminal minds. This is literally a magical power. Yes. And it's, and it's, it's strange. Yes.
1: That they're just, not giving it any quarter that there's no if ands, or buts. Yeah. He tries to explain it to his ex-partner, Bill yeah. Smitrovich.
0: Bill Smitrovich from from Crime Story. Yes.
1: From our and beloved
0: crime, crime Story.
1: Yes. And so he, as he explains it, he said, I just can see what they see.
0: Yeah. And he doesn't know I, how, and, and he doesn't exactly. know why, but he can.
1: Yes, and this might have been something that was was latent, and because he was he ended up working in law enforcement, it becomes full blown. Yeah,
0: he essentially trained whatever this latent ability was in him until he had the ability to enter the mind of a psychopath. Yes. Oh. To his All right. So then he gives the profile and like watching this compared to how the giving the profile scene goes in Criminal Minds, it almost plays as comedic
1: Yeah, because he's
0: like, all right, here's the here's the literary origins of this guy's obsession. Here's why he's doing it. He thinks that the city is, you know, is corrupted. He thinks that there is a plague on all of us. Uh, he he's obsessed with violence against women and he goes peep show because he was, sexuality is warped by his relationship with his mother and he just lays it all out and the cops are just like staring at him blankly.
1: <laughs> Say what? Because they think it's a black guy.
0: Yeah, because they found they a black hair someone. on the, they found a single black person's hair on the victim and they're like, no, it must be a black guy. And he's like, there's only been one black serial killer ever. And people generally kill within their own racial group. So no, it's not a black guy, but they've got a hair. So that's what they want to chase down. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So then, and then they're all going to go and they're going to keep following the leads. Yeah. And so it says, okay, you know, I've given you what I know, fine. And I'm leaving and he leaves. And then, I mean, the way this thing is set up as he's driving out of the underground parking, right? Yeah. All of a sudden there's this, person coming at him in the rain and it's the pouring rain coming at him at the rain and you are just like
0: wow
1: and it turns out of course it's it's bill right it's uh it's his his ex-partner and who says tell me why i should believe you
0: yeah and so frank finally has to explain what happened to him yeah that uh he found you know he caught this guy who was an especially awful serial killer who just as he said, uh, w- walked up to random houses. And if the house happened to be unlocked, that was, you know, a message that these people were inviting him to murder the entire families. Yeah. Uh, and then w- as he is solving this case, someone started sending Polaroids of his family to him completely yeah. anonymously. And he became so terrified of his family being at risk and the world being full of danger, he had a complete nervous breakdown and could not leave the house. He turned into an agoraphobe, entirely obsessed with security and he couldn't work anymore. And he has managed to claw his way back, but he is still damaged. And this is what this house represents, that it's finally going to be safe, that his family is finally going to be okay. And he's going to be protected. But spoiler alert, uh, sometimes protection doesn't happen inside the house. Because his daughter has a seizure and is in the hospital.
1: Yep. Oh,
0: dear. Yep.
1: So off he goes to the hospital.
0: Yeah. And his wife talks about it and he sees them drawing blood and he figures out why the people were being kept in the, why the guy was being kept in the the container. Yeah. yeah, Because he's obsessed with plague he is and keep, he is grabbing people. He is locking them up. He is doing a blood test, and if it comes back that they are infected, he murders them.
1: Yes, then of course this is a th- throw line to his the the whole HIV thing.
0: Exactly. So did this character and I mean it's not it's not established in the show because this show is not about this show is not interested in explaining no. anything. No but Is the message here that this guy got a sexually transmitted disease from a sex worker because of his obsession, like his obsession with sex, and now it has turned to violence, and that's why he now only watches women through glass, because he's going to be corrupted again? Yes, that's almost certainly what's happening in this story. And the reason that the MO for her, right, uh, the woman he brutally stabbed to death is so different, is that... He has been you know get poisoned and can't have sex with women anymore through the rest and so now the reason it's so different is this is his sexual obsession, and the only way he can put it out is violence now because he doesn't want to be corrupted anymore by the disease these women have is is that's that is the backstory that I got out of this <laughs> watching
1: oh. Well, part of the... No, but part of the backstory, too, because Frank does mention this, he is confused about his sexuality.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: He says so, and that that's why he's also killing men. Yeah. But they're all gay men. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is the... Because Frank does find him when he's Exactly. Born.
0: He manages to find a guy alive. Uh, okay,
1: but... Yes, well, they... they
0: so now that Frank knows about the, um, right. It's
1: not a guy that's alive.
0: Yeah, it's a guy. It's it's a guy who's locked up in the, um, uh, no, in the coffin.
1: No, isn't that the other, the other sex worker from the. No,
0: no, it's the guy. It's the man. He's, well, it's just some man we find who's with his eyes sewn shut and his mouth sewn shut. Yeah. That's who's in the second coffin. Just a guy who identifies the same man they were talking about. The guy in the baseball cap.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Uh anyway. He is yes. and of course he's already told Bill Smitrovich. right? He's already told him about the blood test thing. So Bill has a call out to all of the um tests in the city, right? And he needs to find people who have come back with a disease right before the guy was burned alive. Right? Right before the murders. Yes. To find out who guy is. Yes, exactly. Because he's like, this guy is playing for Tess. And so they find, and so he goes to Bill's office and they're talking about the case and, you know, where they're going to find a lead. Bill steps out. And then Frank picks up the phone, you know, because it's answered and it's vital information for Bill, which this guy's happy to give to somebody who just answers the phone. We're not going to get into that part of it. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, the information is, uh the calls are coming from inside the house uh it's the right it's the same uh, lab that the police uses yeah and it's someone who works in the lab that sent over the tests and so he knows right away that it's a blood pathologist who's doing this it is a guy whose whole job is obsessed with blood which is what has caused him to be so focused on this corruption as he sees it and so Frank goes down there to look for the pathologist, uh, leaving a message for Bill. He doesn't wait for Bill to get back, but he does leave a message for Bill. And it's in, I mean, it's literally Frank. And you're wondering, why doesn't Frank wait for backup? Why doesn't someone to investigate? It's literally in the same complex he's in. He can literally just go downstairs and look for the guy.
1: Yeah.
0: And so he finds the guy and they have a brief fight scene and Bill manages to save him.
1: Yeah, Bill shoots the guy. Bill
0: shoots the guy and saves him. And that is and then that's the end of our episode. Right. Uh, Frank, all right. Frank goes now, home.
1: What we, okay. What we missed though. What oh you please, missed, what did I miss? Scene. You missed the scene where the daughter goes home. Like like it it's this the blood thing is one thing, but yeah. no, because in between, because the daughter is still. In the hospital at yeah. that point. Yeah. And you know, they've been sleeping there and he sees it. So he goes off. Yeah. He says, no, there are other people we've got to go and find. Yeah. That's and that's. The structure. Well, okay. Then they find, you know, and they can't find. They've got all these police in the middle of the night walking through looking. Yeah. And that's the when
0: people. they open up the case and they find the the sex yeah. worker. He kidnapped. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And then they find the sex worker. Right. And then he goes back home.
0: No, no, no. He doesn't the, go back home. They go straight from finding the sex worker to the office. He only goes back home at the end of the episode.
1: No, because he.
0: I'm telling you, I'm scanning through it right now as we're talking.
1: Then that must, then what I thought you missed was in the next part.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. The next part is. No, that's what I'm saying. So they've caught the killer. He goes home. His daughter is back from the hospital. They say she's going to be fine. And he's like, and he brings her a puppy. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that is the thing that is missing from the perfect suburban life he wants to create for his family. He brings her a puppy and his daughter is, of course, ecstatic to see a puppy because, you know, who on earth wouldn't want a puppy? Everybody wants a puppy. It's a puppy. That's why they call them puppies. And uh, and then, of course, the show can't leave well enough alone. (laughs) So he goes downstairs and gets his mail. And he finds a new set of Polaroids that are not old that were taken as yeah. they arrived in Seattle and got off the plane and got in the cab to come and see the house at the very start of the episode. Because and that is the one thing we didn't mention. Like we talked about um, the daughter seeing the house for the first time, but kind of the wife one was as well. Like she knew what the house was, but Frank had gone up, gone ahead and set up their whole lives Mm -hmm. so everything and again it's part of the world he wanted to create he set up their whole lives before so they could just walk into this suburban life right so the house was fully furnished and everything was set up like he went ahead and did all of this right so that they could just walk into this new life and the new life would just be ready for them and that's key so like literally the that's how recently these pictures were taken they have only been in town for two days Yep. And this guy is already on top of stalking Frank again.
1: Yep. And yeah. So he's not freaking out the same way.
0: No, he's not going to freak oh. out the same way. Because he has, he's had his therapy, you know? Yeah. He has found coping mechanisms. But the end of the episode is, no place is safe from the darkness. <laughs> like, that is the message we are left with.
1: Yes, at the end of the first episode. Yeah no wonder anybody went to episode
0: number two <laughs> I know right yeah because the message is like this guy and again that's me coming up with some idea because in Criminal Minds we would have gotten an explanation of what his motive was but this guy's just talking about the end of the world and Nostradamus and Ye- William Butler Yeats the same yeah. poem that gets referenced in The Stand you know yeah. like yeah I know. Uh, right like it's it's all there right and but fundamentally, I think there is a prosaic motivation for this guy, and it is as you say, sexual confusion and misogyny and the like and all of this extra stuff with the end of the world and blood is because he was infected because of his lust, and so now he is going to burn it out of everybody and you're right, you can't say the only question is you're you're probably right that he was infected by sex with a male. You know, gay male sex worker, and in all likelihood, he's angry with women for them failing to arouse him at women for them failing yeah. to arouse him. Yeah. So he could be normal. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sure you're right that that's what's going on. Yeah. Like that's and
1: and the then message. we don't even get it. no, but we don't
0: get any of that. That's just
1: no, we don't get any, and we don't get the fact that he probably and he would have had this religious background. Yeah. With his own parents, right, and his own family, because. What you do is you create from what you were raised with right? exactly a lot of stories, and of course, all of this is is you know, um, oh God, we don't even want to get into. I've just been reading some stuff on gender, and oh uh, never, never, I'm not going to go there. Let's go to episode
0: all two right. episode two <laughs> opens the with real a world I
1: don't know.
0: <laughs> hey uh you, you know that movie Fight club. <laughs> Would you yeah. like to watch a microcosm of how cults work in the movie yeah. Fight Club?
1: <laughs> like the it. guys
0: are even dressed like the Fight Club guys and have the shaved, closed heads like the Fight Club guys. Like it's like you're watching Fight Club for a few seconds. For a few seconds at the start, but I mean, yeah, but it, the cult dynamics are the same.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, eh, how it opens up and you know they, they go and they get some LSD, right?
0: They give and a guy then, some LSD and then they leave him alone and they circle him with their cars and they drive off and someone is watching from the roof with yeah. uh with night vision goggles and then the man is for all intents and purposes torn apart by animals as far as we know. But of course, we know it's the guys, because once he had the LSD, he saw the men he was with, their faces as snarling dog heads. Yes. So it's like, we know it's literally these guys are beating him to death. But, like, as far as he's concerned, he's being devoured alive by wolves. <laughs> it's it's how you start an episode, man. <laughs> this is how you start an episode. That's what it looks
1: like. Can we find out? Okay something a little different later on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But But that's how it
1: is. Yeah. He's seeing these, these wolves, right? Yeah. He's seeing these wolves. It's it's some kind of a weird hazing. Like that's what you think in the beginning.
0: Yeah. Cause we don't actually see him get killed.
1: No, no, no. We don't see him get killed. We don't see that the, the cars drive off. They just drive. They seem to
0: leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they seem to leave him alone, but in his head, he's he's turned these guys into wolves
0: and then predator- he's attacked by some kind of a beast. Yes.
1: Yeah. So yes and um but he's we don't see him being killed.
0: No, we don't you're right. You we don't actually know that. You're right.
1: No. No, we don't know how he was killed. We will
0: later. Soon on. enough.
1: Soon enough. So this where we now switch to the garden?
0: Yeah, this is where, well, first we see Frank putting in security lights as his response to the incident. Uh, and his neighbor's like, Hey, what's the security lights? And, uh, Frank of course explains that he wants them to be, uh, you know, he wants a little extra security because his wife has got her late night job, uh, has got her job, which means she's going to be coming home after dark. So it'll be nice that there's some lights out there for her. And this is how we find out that she's going back to work as a, uh, social worker. Yeah. Yeah, that she, in fact, has gotten the job she was applying for in the first episode, and she's going to be going back to work as a social worker because the daughter's like going to preschool. They have, you know, the daughter's going to be busy at preschool all day, so she can, she's ready to go back to work. And more importantly, Frank's stable again. Yes. So yeah, she can, she can go back to work. Things are going to get back to normal. But like I said, seeing Lance Henriksen doing basic household maintenance is just bizarre. It just looks weird, and I'm not going to apologize for thinking that. <laughs>
1: but there he is.
0: But there up he a- is putting up the sensor, and his you know his friendly neighbor is there, and then he gets a call from Peter Watts saying, "I need you to come and look at something here in uh, sa- uh in San Francisco."
1: San Francisco.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what he has to look at in San Francisco is uh, someone has been taking uh, human ashes and throwing them on a rose bed on a rose on, bed well it no it's a massive rose garden it's yeah. one of those
1: memorial rose gardens yeah right and yeah so someone has and no one
0: noticed. and no one would have noticed anything except in among the ashes dumped this time was a human ear
1: yeah so this woman thought it was strange understandably
0: then,
1: <laughs> yes the little old little old lady coming to you know, go check on the roses everybody. and
0: then boom.
1: Commemoration well, rose for her husband or yeah, her Whatever. Or whatever. And, and whoa. boom, human ear. Human ear. So call the cops. They come.
0: You and, know, and
1: the Millennium Group shows up. Yep. Oh, and yes, They're go- so,
0: this is weird enough that it requires their involvement.
1: Yes. And they get... You know, so they have to take up the ashes.
0: But before that, <laughs> we get a cut back. <laughs> ah, but before that, before we get to the ashes, we get yeah. that cut, wonderful cut back to Catherine and Jordan. Jordan's the daughter's name, by the way. Uh, Jordan Black. Uh, just in with her, Jordan, you know, go, being put to bed and asking, you know, why his daddy had to uh, you know, go away. Because you got to remember, he like... He was kind of yes, exactly. Like he was kind if of a stay-at-home home. dad for two years, yeah. and this is like, and she's only five now or six now, well, five years old now because oh. she's in preschool. So I think she's four. So four or five, something like that, right? Um, so she only has memories of dad being home all the time. Yeah. So this whole idea, and so they introduced the concept that there are bad guys in the world, and dad has to stop them. Yeah. Which is, you know, a nice, very, very oversimplification of the situation. Which, you know, is necessary. She's a kid, she can't understand the ins and outs of this. Nor should she be expected to. But, uh, the important part is, we're opening up this idea that there are bad people out there. You know? And once again, reinforcing that this is the safe place.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. And so then we get the expert explaining about how... There is something like 40 pounds. He managed to separate uh, from the soil 40 pounds of um, Ash. ash. Enough for there to have been, his estimation, seven dead bodies just in that rose bed. And Frank's flashes are of a guy in a metal, like behind a metal door, pleading with a beaten face, pleading from behind a window. That and is the yeah. come up. Yeah. Uh, and nobody can explain what's going on with the ear.
1: No. How the ear survived.
0: Yeah. But, and this is the key part, he mentions that he found some strange chemicals that were only used in um that used to be used in dry cleaning. Yeah. And so Peter Watts is like, well, there's a giant, you know, industrial dry cleaning facility out in the middle of uh nowhere that's been de- derelict for a few years if you wanted uh, an isolated place to kill somebody you could do a lot worse and they go out there and they find a bunch of human teeth
1: yeah and there's a crematorium out there isn't they, they don't No no that. no
0: they don't find the crematorium yet cuz spoiler yeah. alert it's not exactly a crematorium but we'll get to that
1: yes yeah, that's right
0: all right. So then uh Frank's buddy from uh the FBI who's the one who, you know, kind of brought him into the Millennium Group shows up to offer his opinion, but what he's really there to do is offer an, uh, you know, offer his take on the um the f- the oh. Polaroids.
1: Yeah.
0: Offer his take on the Polaroids because he's the one guy Frank trusts. To consult him to consult about the Polaroids and is he thinking? You know, is my family in danger? How how seriously should I take this? And the big question: Should I tell my wife? Yes. And this guy's opinion is no. You don't have to tell her yet. Like it's been years, right? It's been years, and this guy is only now. Na- like it's been years. This guy uh, was inactive for a long time, and he's still just staying. 30 feet away from you and taking photographs. This, yes, it's bad that they're back, but no, there has been no escalation. And until there's some escalation, you probably shouldn't, you know, make your wife nervous. I don't think I agree with him. No, no, not
1: by, but that's, you can see that that's, you know, I I believe
0: the characters would do it.
1: (laughs) Yes. And, and, the, but the problem and that's the problem with the stalker it's the same old story right yeah you can't do anything until they do something really bad
0: yeah and by then it's frequently too late yep oh stalkers you're the worst uh and now we get to the villains which turns out to that uh, turns out the fight club uh we were talking about is a bunch of dudes with shaved heads in matching black shirts selling so hair be- products over the phone. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's so, and I mean, it's so creepy. Yeah. It is so creepy. Like, and there's just, so just literally a hundred guys in a room just selling products over the phone. Because, yeah. spoiler alert, and this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, this is how cults make their money. <laughs> they have a <laughs> giant organization of people who will do grunt work Without question and without rest and without proper compensation, and the cult just banks all that money. And if you've got a, I mean, the thing is, uh, sometimes they do it through minimum wage jobs or like running tiny restaurants or something like that. And it seems like can that possibly be that or much salons. money? Or yeah, or salons, or or I mean, for one that we're constantly having to deal with here, duct cleaning. Hey, people oh, wow. on the phone, have you ever gotten a call from a guy offering to come and clean your ducts? That's a cult. <laughs> yeah. The duct cleaning people are a cult. Uh, they might not be a terrible cult. They might not be an evil cult, but they are a cult. They are a cult of people who kind of have to be there. But it's like the Moonies were exactly that way and they became an obscenely wealthy financial institution. Yep. Like, again, they bought the Washington uh, Times. Like, <laughs> literally... Prominent newspa- prominent right-wing anti-communist newspaper run by a cult, whose leader believes he is Jesus. Like uh, these these places, it's it's such prosaic cr- stuff that crimes that the cults do, right? Such so minor things, and it's like the affirmations that play on the board in front of them. Everyone wants good hair, you know. <laughs> You know, encourage, uh, what is it? I'm trying to remember the phrasing of it. It's like, you know, um, uh, uh, encourage people to worry. Everybody wants beautiful hair. Encourage self-doubt. Create desire. <laughs> it's such a weird oh. stuff, right? Uh, but yes, they identify the ear and the dead body, as, sorry, not the ear, the teeth, as belonging to um, a specific guy the child of some Russian immigrants and they go to talk to him. Right. The parents. The parents. Yes, not him. He's dead. (laughs) They talk to the parents. Right. And come up with a, uh, his, um, the things cult do, the things cults do that make you sever all ties with your family. Right. Yeah. So a letter severing all ties with his family.
1: He hates his mother. He hates his father. Yeah. He hates his life. All his worldly goods are going to the, Cult Cult
0: and... And the cult is going to allow them all to be rich. Yes. Uh, Is this significant... Yeah, of course. Is this significantly different than the evil of multi-level marketing? No, it is not significantly different, except multi-level marketing groups are generally not mass murdering people. Generally. I can't (laughs) say all multi-level marketing (laughs) groups aren't mass murdering people. But generally... I don't think multi-level marketing groups are mass murdering people. Uh, but the key part is they profile the language as being extremely personal. Like this isn't something someone put a gun to his head to write. This seems no. like he was a true believer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then back at home, uh, you know, Bill has shown up at uh, the house. And yep. so she she's afraid she's being stalked. But Bill yeah. has just been asked by Frank to come and check up on her because it's a scary situation.
1: Well, yes. After she comes into the house and we're... I mean, you, we cannot tell you how... How the whole... Because we know...
0: About that, the stalker.
1: she's the pictures, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she and, and Jordan come in back to the house and she closes the door and she's walking away and and then you we see... This shadow against the front door before she does. Yep. And we have no idea. We've right? seen
0: it. We saw a shadow across the street. Now we're seeing it creeping at the front door. Like, it's 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 genuinely unnerving.
1: Yes, it really is. And then he calls, right? Yeah. He just to her,
0: and yeah. she's
1: oh, and she does admit that he scared her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You no, know? and um. Anyway, he does go in for coffee, doesn't he? He does. And it yeah. when he goes and, in and, for to-
0: coffee, right? It shows you something really interesting that you may not have noticed until this scene. How like they go out of their way to make every color toned down. Every color is colder outside of the house and every room is darker outside of the house. But all of the warm the color is warm inside the house. Yes. And that's a really smart thing to do. And again, it reinforces this idea, right? It reinforces what the house represents. Oh, and yeah, it's it's a good scene. Yeah, like, and the
1: partner comes in, and mm-hmm. then she explains to him in greater detail just how bad it was.
0: Yeah, for Frank. For
1: Frank. And, um, you know, so, and then they talk, and then he leaves, and... Mm-hmm. She puts Jordan to bed, and then she's going to bed, and all of a sudden, the lights are on. Yeah, because
0: somebody's creeping around outside the house. Yep. Yep, so, so just in case we thought we were safe for a second and it was just uh, Bill outside, nope. Nah, nope, there nah. actually was someone creeping around out there.
1: So she pulls down the blinds.
0: Yeah, and she all of the she blinds.
1: The yeah, all of the blinds, and then all of a sudden, she sees the lights do go out. Yep. Yeah. Because the yeah. person
0: walked away. But again, the, the the fact that the show takes the time to have you watch her close every blind in the house reinforces this idea of this house being essentially set aside from the entire world. Yeah. And you're only in safe inside the house. But like the house is only safe it is, if it is completely cut off. From the outside world. So again, we're basically inside the head of Frank when he was an agoraphobe. Yes. Just by watching these few shots. Yep. Okay. So back at the dry cleaning facility, there is a a group of car. Another guy is going to get killed because we saw him unable. The guy we had seen unable to make any sales earlier that day is taken out to be executed uh, given LSD, the cars drive around him, the guy is watching from above with the uh night vision goggles, and he's about to come and you know viciously beat him. And then Frank shows up because <laughs> Frank was there. Because on the, you know, just out of curiosity, he wanted to go there at night and see if people showed up again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and so now they have someone to interrogate. And I would say the least brightly lit interrogation room I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like the room is complete, like the lighting is done. So the room is completely black and it's just Frank's face or his face for the entire scene.
1: I know it, it, visually this is a, this is stunning. That's what yeah. keeps you going. If you, well, it, it it's, it's one of the things that keeps people like us going. It's one of the things that probably turned a lot of people off.
0: Yeah. But. It, it's, oh, yeah. it's so stressful. Oh, I, I think you're right. It is, it is stressful to watch. It yeah. is. And again, when we say it's an ordeal to watch this TV show, we're only half joking. Yeah. <laughs> only half joking. Only half joking. All right. So, um, but the guy is basically incoherent, but he keeps talking about, in the same way that the letter did, essentially being burned in the fires of Gehenna. Yes. Yeah, and they talk about how weird the use of the term Gehenna is because it only appears in certain versions of certain Jewish texts. Right? Well, it's
1: it actually well, yeah. I, I that that was a that was a bit more of a stretch, but yeah. yeah it in it, I mean it is in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, but it's and it, I mean it's it's a it's the it's there was there was a place where the followers of Moloch through children, sacrificed children. I mean, it's, it, it, that's the, into a
0: burning pit. And that is Gehenna.
1: And that is, and so that was Gehenna. Then it gets turned into hell.
0: Yeah. It becomes the, uh, yeah, it becomes the analog for hell.
1: Yeah. And so, I I mean, even if you, once you get proper translations, I think there's one mention of it in the, for everybody, uh, new Testament. (laughs) There's one mention of it. Yeah. Jesus uh, mentions it at some point in one of the apocalypses, mm-hmm. uh, in one of his apocalyptic speeches. Yeah. And I think that's about it. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, and we don't talk about it all that much. You see it in some of the the apocalyptic literature, which is the what we call the pseudepigrapha.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: stuff like all of these books that didn't make it into the canon. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh, Jewish apocrypha, and then there's, as I say, Jewish apocrypha, and then later apocrypha, Christian apocrypha, and, and yeah, yeah, it's all very, it's all very strange. But Gehenna, yes, is a, it's a limited term for sure, and um, but it does sound better than hell. It
0: does. But I, I think the main argument of the episode is it is an obscure enough term that it can yes. be used to uh, as a lead. And I think they, they make that point well enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it can. Yeah. It is an obscure enough term that you can use it as a lead. Frank doesn't yeah. have like there's nothing more for Frank to do here. Uh, right. Because the guy has a heart attack. He is so yeah. terrified of the people he works for that he has a heart attack. And so there's nothing Frank can do here. So he just goes home. Uh, And we have nice scene with him and uh, his daughter asking if he's back because he caught the bad guy. Yeah. And he's like, well, it's not that simple. Not quite yet.
1: But we'll get to that.
0: And so then he finds out about, uh, like, he looks into Gehenna and they find a shell company by that name. Right. Uh An organization and uh, dealing in chemicals. Including the precursors ah, weapons. and weapons, and more importantly, uh, dealt—it's uh, that works all over the world. Yes. Right, and is hooked up with the chemicals that were used to do the sarin gas attacks by the Aum Shinrikyo cult in Tokyo. Yep. So that's what this episode's about—the exact same kind of cult they had in Tokyo that time. <laughs> And they managed to find a warehouse that they use, that Gehenna owns in San Francisco, uh, a warehouse that they uh, own. And so Frank's, and Frank decides to, you know, fly back down there immediately.
1: Well, no, he phones his, he phones phone his partner.
0: Phone and, and
1: tells him all this.
0: And tells him all this. Yeah.
1: And so the guy's partner says, okay, now uh, yeah. I'll go check it out. The partner says, well, okay, I'm going to go check stuff out. Yeah. And so Frank says, okay. And then he plans on going to bed.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then all of a sudden he goes, like, I I don't know if he wakes up when he's asleep or whatever. I can't remember exactly. But he realizes. Yeah. That something's wrong, really wrong. So he calls the cops. Yeah. So he calls the cops in San Francisco, tells them where this guy is. Yeah. And then we go to the guy and Frank's going to go back down,
0: but yeah. But all then, we see, is, all we see is his friend exploring the place. And yeah. so he finds the, the place where all of the calls are being made from the giant call chamber with a, yeah. uh, and it's, it's interesting that the one, you know, big, the new note we see on the wall is work will set you free.
1: Oh. Which is, of course,
0: oh, the thing that was written in iron over the gates of Auschwitz. Yep. Oh, my God. And so he goes into the back and he finds crates. And inside the crates are not uh, chemicals, but crate after crate after crate of Chinese AK-47s. Yeah. He did find some barrels
1: of chemicals. Oh, he
0: did. But it's key and that these guys the were turning themselves and trained to be an army. Yep. A conventional army, as well as all of the other culty stuff. And they mention in passing that the way that it's rumored that the way Om Shinrikyo's leader got rid of uh, apostates was by burning them in an industrial microwave oven.
1: Yeah.
0: And so when, and they were like, A industrial microwave oven. And so then when his buddy is exploring the facility he finds a giant metal door with a glass window in it that we recognize as being what we saw the victim. Yeah. Uh, but of course he doesn't have Frank's visions. You know? no. So why would he recognize it? Uh, and, and
1: I'm sitting there going, knowing oh he's, no. he's going to walk inside. I'm oh going, my God. No, 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 I no. The only thing they do give you a bit of relief because they switched to All of the cop cars
0: rushing over there.
1: Rushing there.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank God.
1: Because he does. He goes in. He
0: goes in and the the boss of the cult shuts the door and turns it on. But but then there's like literally a swarm of cops there. Yeah. Like literally like 20 cops. And Peter Watt led by Peter Watts and the detective we've seen. And they yank the thing open, and they pull his fr- Frank's friend out, yeah, and then we and get that guy. yeah, then we get the interrogation, and they're trying to uh and they're trying to interrogate him, and they're trying to find out why he's doing this, and the guy just won't talk no, nope. nothing, nothing, oh. And, uh, and then he goes to see his friend and we find out that, you know, the water in his, all of the water, cause that's how microwaves kill you, by the way, all of the water in your body gets set to boil yeah. at once. It is the most agonizing death imaginable. That is what he did to these people. Uh, but this guy was only in it for five seconds. So, you know, it did not kill him, but he was horribly injured. We're told he's going to make a full recovery, but... Frank is still very messed up about it, quite understandably. And yeah. Kath- and Catherine has come to get Frank from the hospital. And yeah, and we have our final little statement on whether it's possible, whether the concept of getting the bad guys even makes sense.
1: Well, yes, but before that you, you you have you talked about what Frank saw when he looked at this guy.
0: Oh God, yes. Oh
1: go back to that.
0: Yeah, 'cause the guy walks up to the um the guy walks up to the the one-way glass and yeah. stares Frank in the eyes, right? I- uh, even though it's a mirror. So he's only technically looking at himself, but in a crazy spiritual way, he know we know that he's looking directly I- at Frank. And we're seeing the same demon that the guy saw. Like Frank is seeing the same demon that the guy in the opening saw before he was murdered. Yep. So this is the face of the demon that killed him. And, well, we're going to talk about how literal we mean the word demon (laughs) as we go. (laughs) Because let's not forget, Frank has legitimate supernatural abilities. It's a perfect place to start. And let's just say that this is a show that isn't afraid to address the meanings and the consequences of that.
1: (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so now we go home and we have that, you know, discussion. Oh, no, no,
0: the discussion. That's the weird part about the structure of the show. The discussion with the daughter about whether you can, whether you catch the bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Happens before... The bad guy gets caught, and all we have at the end is just his a couple of lines with him and Catherine.
1: Yes, I know
0: about whether there's any, and it's so interesting because another show might have another, you know, more conventional show might have put the conversation with his daughter right at the end of the episode. No, no, but they choose to have this, this, uh, like because that would represent a return to normalcy right? Of him comforting his daughter at the end of the episode. But no, that all happens before the guy gets caught and before we're told that who the hell knows like who he is or why he did this. Because the show just wants to leave us unsure and uncomfortable.
1: Yes, so he has the discussion with (laughs) with Megan who, you know, says, I mean Catherine who says that he, you know, yes, but you know, you've saved countless other people from
0: From this cult,
1: yeah. From this cult and everything else. And you've done all these. And, you know, this is all to the good and stuff. And Frank has just got that look in his face because he remembers the face that he saw. Yep. And he's going, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, and they are inside the house. So all of a sudden, he can't leave it outside the house.
0: No, no, this all happens at the hospital. The show ends still at the hospital. Yeah, I wondered why what, what she did with Jordan. Yeah, I know, because <laughs> he's in the
1: hospital in San Francisco. Francisco,
0: I know, right?
1: And she's in Seattle. I know. And I'm still trying to figure out what she did with Jordan, but I I, I agree.
0: Because That's what it's just a weird it's a weird place to put the scene. But I, I maintain that the reason they wanted to set the scene there was to keep us from having the comfort of the home for this conversation. Okay. And uh, I think they just want us to not worry about the logic of how Catherine got to San Francisco and who's staying with Jordan. I think yes. they just want us to think uh, they just want us to stay off kilter.
1: And I would say that the first time I watched this, I probably didn't even notice that.
0: And no, exactly. Right. But that's that's how devoted this show is to keep putting you off balance and keeping you off balance. Because like I said, a normal show would have put the scene, would have just kept him in San Francisco the whole time. And then at the end, he would have gone home and he would have talked to his daughter about how maybe the bad man can never get caught. And then he would have had his conversation with his wife uh, and ended like all the dialogue would have been the same but by changing the order of the scenes it alienates him from the family again and it keeps him out of this place that's supposed to feel safe and yeah it's it's interesting it's really interesting
1: because we do see him fixing the
0: lights yeah we see him fixing the lights before he goes back out and that's when uh and that's when his neighbor his, neighbor. his too friendly neighbor asks him uh, what exactly it is that a consultant does. And he's like, people present me with a problem and I try to figure it out. And I try to solve it. And he's like, well, how's the problem going? He's like, it's completely baffled me.
1: Okay, now, wait a minute. Now, this is the episode where he went home?
0: Yeah, because he goes home halfway through the episode. That's why it's-
1: And the kids, and Megan and Jordan aren't there. And the neighbor comes over and gives him a note just to tell they're at the hospital, that's in the first no, year. that's
0: last week. No, no, this is the that's one where high. he, where it's so strange because he effectively gives up on the case in San Francisco and says there's nothing more I can figure out and just gives it up and goes home. And that's when he, he looks into Gehenna and figures out about the uh, shell companies. Yeah, but in it's like a normal episode, like I'm saying, would have just had him stay in San Francisco till the end of the episode and had the scene with his daughter be more comforting because he would have had the conversation with her after the guy was caught, but they don't structure it that way.
1: No. Again, because the guy may be caught, but the evil is still there.
0: Exactly. And That's they want, they want it. to, they, ne- they will, this show will never let you off the hook. No. Uh, Although I'm going to make one funny, one slightly funny statement. Our beloved uh, Dean Winters, Ryan O'Reilly from Oz, uh, has the unique statement of having been in what is arguably the best episode of the show Millennium and what is inarguably the worst episode of the show Millennium. He stars in both of those episodes as different characters. It's a, something fun for people to look for if they like Dean Winters, as we do. Yes. All right. So that's our breakdown of the first two episodes of Millennium, which went a little longer than we wanted because we had to do that 20 minutes at the start explaining exactly. why Millennium is so special.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> which I believe it is. I believe that it is oh. legitimately a special TV show.
1: All I know is the first two episodes just took me and I'm just going, oh, yeah, because I can remember bits and pieces of it. But yep. when I started again and you just get drawn in and, and it's different watching it. No commercials. I know. And episodes one after another, which is why I got. No relief. Neighbor. Na- neighbor's roles, The neighbor's
0: roles up. confused. Yeah.
1: And. Um,
0: but yeah, like there is there is no relief when you watch the show Millennium. It's as simple as that. Like, yeah. they won't let you off the hook ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, the old story, goes. I remember the first time I encountered this attitude was a little show called um, Easy Streets, which was a fantastic show, uh, which was about, you know, uh, cops versus the mob in New York City. Uh, Joe Pantoliano, Jason Gedrick, a bunch of other fantastic people. Really good show. And it got canceled. And basically the statement... Uh, after it got canceled was who wants to come at the home at the end of a work day and deal with this you know (laughs) (laughs) yes and i get that i completely get that and it was a fantastic show it was a legitimately great hour of television but i get it like people can't deal with that on a network tv show and that is the the fact that millennium was not canceled halfway through its first season the only thing you can say about it is that's how powerful Chris Carter was. And that's how important the X-Files was to the entire Network Fox. Yeah. Is the only reason that they let this show continue as long as they did. Because how could this ever have been a hit? How? You know?
1: No. It, because it doesn't have... Like, I think of all of these other things. And that it hasn't become a cult.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's the weird. And I I mean, I I want us to talk about that as we go through the show, because on some level, I don't understand why, you know, people haven't rediscovered this yet. Maybe because you can't watch it anywhere.
1: Oh, yes, there's that.
0: (laughs) Maybe because it's been friggin buried. Maybe that factors into why this hasn't been rediscovered. (laughs) Like how like I mean, I'm not saying it's the most mainstream show in the world, but it's like there's no reason this show should be impossible to find.
1: Like, I this, this
0: should be watchable somewhere.
1: Can you, you can buy it on DVD. You can buy
0: it on DVD. That's it. You might be able to buy all the episodes on Apple. We'll check into that between week one and week two. So yes. hopefully all y'all are finding a way to watch it online. I'm not saying watch it illegally, but I'm also saying Fox sure as hell doesn't want your money. So I you know, leave it up to you. Yeah, uh, it's so weird. It is weird uh but for now we're gonna let this go and say that we will thank you for listening if you have any questions if you have any comments if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com and we'll be happy to uh uh we'll be happy to check into that if you're listening in an app or podcast or rate and review that's how people find out about the show we'll see you back here next week for episodes three and four of uh millennium which is dead letters and i don't remember what the other one is called um i'll have to check uh but episode three and four millennium uh but until then i'll say that's right au revoir
1: and have a good week